0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 29th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The economics profession has largely told the public that the economy, in scare quotes, is a big machine that just needs the right tweaking to keep humming along. In his new book, Specialization in Trade, economist Arnold Kling attempts to reintroduce economics by explaining that the economy is an evolutionary system. We spoke this week. Everybody got something really, really wrong during the financial crisis, And that, as far as I can tell so far, I could be wrong, did not bring about some come-to-Jesus meeting on economics more generally. Why didn't that happen?
1: That's a good question. I I think that uh, there were efforts launched by various groups and organizations to try to reexamine economics, and so they called in all the people who'd gotten things wrong and said, what's your solution? Uh, not surprisingly, uh, people didn't deviate much from where they were. In fact, there's a joke that goes around the profession that everyone has written a book since the financial crisis that explains why, basically says the reason the financial crisis happened is can be explained by the views that I held beforehand and so it proves that I was right all along.
0: So, is this an example? I mean, we all project a lot of our biases into uh, almost every endeavor of activity, but it seems that economics is uniquely suited for that kind of projection that is, you know, well, I, I'm still right. Aaron
1: Powell Yeah. Uh, and in fact, this, this shows how right I was. Um, now, I think that illustrates how right I am in, the, in my latest book in saying that economics is not a science. If it were a science, then people couldn't be making those kinds of contradictory claims.
0: So it's, it's just a nature of the, the difficulty of the task of economics that—
1: People's models of the world tend to hold other things equal. And so what that means is, when something comes along that appears to be an anomaly, you you look for the excuse. You say, "Oh well, well, th- this is this is why it doesn't hold." But when somebody else's view looks like it's an anomaly, then you go after them. You say, "Aha! This proves that you're wrong." So there's this kind of asymmetric view that you you treat uh, one piece of evidence that's a problem with. As fatal to the other guy's point of view, uh, but perfectly excusable or rationalizable to yours.
0: Let's go back to what people learn. Uh, you know, if you have a required course in economics in college uh, and you don't intend on studying it further, what do you learn? That is, is it all gross oversimplification?
1: Well, in the In the topic that I go into in this book, specialization trade, it's certainly oversimplification. All you learn, you basically learn a a form of bilateral exchange. You know, the classic uh, England produces cloth and Portugal produces wine. So that's bilateral exchange and that's not what specialization trade actually looks like in the real world. What it looks like is you do a job that— you know, for most people, it doesn't relate to final goods production at all. You don't produce anything you could put in your mouth or or wear on, on your body or put over your head. You produce some intermediate output that uh, may not even relate to any of those things. And yet, you can exchange it for all sorts of goods and services. Um, Just you know, by the time you've finished breakfast in the morning, in some sense, millions of tasks have been done for you by people all over the world. So it's not this bilateral exchange. And so, right from the very beginning, the that first economics course oversimplifies, and I think misses out on a lot of what's going on.
0: In microeconomics, of course, it gets a lot more complicated the further you study. But in macro, do a lot of those. Oversimplifications in that initial course, sort of hold.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Macro never gets out of that. Macro, I'd say, 99% of macro models have only one kind of output. I call it the GDP factory. You know, we're, we're an economy that that produces one thing. We call GDP, and you know, right away that eliminates specialization as a phenomenon. And yet. It's quite possible, and I think it's indeed probable that specialization actually accounts for a lot of the macroeconomic phenomena that we care about. Things like change, fluctuations in employment, are really fluctuations in how the economy handles changes in patterns of specialization and trade. And those patterns change because of, you know, creative destruction, as Schumpeter put it. And you know, sometimes the uh, entrepreneurial trial and error doesn't quite figure, or takes a while to figure out how to employ the people who have been uh, let go of jobs because of creative destruction.
0: That brings me to the entrepreneur, who is uh, unfortunately, and it's understandable, I suppose, is left out of all these models.
1: Yeah, and and in economics, the the entrepreneur. Is not described as this experimenter who tries and often fails. It's really just often just the owner of a firm who, who uh, is just organizing factors of production, uh, just you know, executing this simple production uh, model, as opposed to trying to figure out. Uh, where is an opportunity, and have you know, and when to give up on the opportunity, and how to modify the opportunity? It doesn't describe how entrepreneurs really work at all. It take they they take everything as given, and all they're doing is solving math problems.
0: And it, it it is that taking everything as given that seems to be so problematic because that firm had to come into existence, that person had to get capital, that person had to make hiring decisions. The insight is important, certainly
1: yeah they 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 have to they have to have the idea and the um and some kind of you know way of executing it some and um you know it's just a, it isn't just so, that solving a math problem which is really the way it's presented in economics courses the entrepreneur uh you know is presented with this calculus problem and then uh you know, f- takes some derivatives and, and and solves the problem. That's a, the, nobody does that in business. No, nobody has has all that information in front of them. They're, they're, it's way more complicated than it's presented in uh, in an economics course.
0: Shouldn't that alone cause problems within the economics profession? The idea that uh, uh, so many business people aren't doing that kind of work. Yeah, you would think so.
1: I mean, the the, uh, the comeback is that yeah you know, that the kind of trial and error uh, that business people are doing is somehow their way of solving these problems. But I think what that misses is that the actual problems are just way too are are multi-dimensional and complex. you don't you don't sit there and say, "Oh, my demand curve looks like this. I mean that's just no 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 business person you know thinks that way. They're just thinking, well, gee, I, I I think I need to. Uh, try to attract this kind of customer with this kind of product and this kind of price and then I want to have some other offering for a different kind of customer. Uh, this, but the notion of a demand curve uh, really isn't, isn't uh, central to those kinds of decisions.
0: Okay. So for the person doing economics professionally every day, it seems like there are huge structures built up around that task. And making any adjustments to how a you know brass tax economist to the extent that exists, how they actually would change doing their job seems very different. What you seem to be calling for is something back in the very beginning of the process to say we need to think about this totally differently
1: yes, and you know there are examples of that uh, the uh, uh, a data set that's come into prominence in in the last ten or twenty years is called the job openings and labor turnover survey or jolts and it sort of measures instead of something like you know are you employed or are you unemployed it measures the amount of people leaving jobs and entering jobs and it turns out that that's way bigger than the net unemployment changes so you know about 4 to 5 million people change jobs every month but the net employment effects are around 100 to 200 thousand. So it's just so, and that um, that survey itself, uh, you know, certainly influenced me, and it's, it it gives rise to it, it enables you to have some sort of window into this patterns of sustainable specialization trade view of the world. So you're right that the the data we use tends to structure how we think and getting away from gdp into something like that jolt survey uh, has, sort of helps you think about uh the economy differently
0: why hasn't there been more pushback from actual business people on how economics gets done
1: oh i think there there often is pushback from business people um but i guess you know, there's sort of a, a truce as it were uh with the business people, the business people who have pushed back, have just given up on creating any change, and the economists who don't are, are tired of the way businessmen are pushing back. Have just decided they're not going to change.
0: Brexit occurred. That is to say, uh, Britain is pulling out of the uh, European Union to the extent it was uh, a full member, and um, the reaction has been swift. The, the and it's It seems to be a full-scale freakout on, on the part of a lot of uh, journalists and markets have also been uh, spooked a little bit. And my, at least my initial thought was, well, as long as trade and migration aren't disturbed to too great of an extent, what's the problem?
1: Well, first of all the The interpretation that we're being presented with, and again i'm 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 nervous that we're being presented with by people who didn't expect it and didn't want it when uh, interpretation is a backlash against migration, and from the perspective of my book, I find that plausible that it that it is a backlash against migration because uh, you know when you work at only a few tasks and you consume lots of from lots of tasks, you tend to be very hypocritical about competition. That is, you, uh, you like competition in, in theory, but when it hits your particular occupation, you're against it. So these white collar professionals who don't understand the vote against Brexit are sitting on uh, credentials that protect them from competition. You know I have this fantasy of uh, of going to an economics class and having a tenured professor stand up and say, "We must have free trade and having this, the students jump out of their chairs and say, Well, you first you know g- get rid of your tenure and get rid of the accreditation system that protects your institution from competition so uh you can sort of understand why uh, you know british blue-collar workers might be appalled that they're, they can face an influx of competition from uh, Polish workers, Hungarian workers and so on. So that would be my, my slight take on the, on the Brexit story. Trevor
0: Burrus You quote uh, Robert Solow, uh, saying it is very hard to be against sustainability. In fact, the less you know about it, the better it sounds.
1: Yes, and I think what people's intuition about sustainability comes from a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. So, if you're a hunter-gatherer and and you, uh, you know, if you don't—if you take your food source faster than it can be replenished, obviously you're, you're going to be in big trouble. And so, people apply that intuition to, let's say, energy. They say, oh, well, you know, oil is not renewable, but the sun, solar power is renewable. Therefore, solar power is more sustainable. But in the context of a modern economy, unless you want to go back to being a hunter-gatherer, but if you really want to live in a modern economy, the real, the more appropriate measure of sustainability comes from the price system. And if solar energy costs more than uh, coal, then that's telling you in some sense that solar energy is less sustainable. You know, you can—there are— Reasonable points to be made about pollution as an offset to that. I'm not. Uh, I'm not doubting that. But just from a pure sustainability standpoint, the price system is really the best indicator, and people's simple intuitions, uh, based on hunter-gatherer intuition, is just is misguided.
0: Is some of that motivated reasoning though? It seems to me that a lot of the people who argue about sustainability just have a certain repugnance toward. Certain other areas of activity
1: that could be that 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 could be part of it, but I, I I I think that's that to the extent that they use the term sustainability to make their argument, they're really appealing to this sort of hunter gatherer intuition. Oh my goodness, you know, there's only you know if we if we take away this resource faster than it can be renewed, we're in trouble. Uh, what that forgets is that human beings contribute. Resources to our life. We you know we build roads, we build ships, uh, we build water treatment plants, we design institutions, we uh, come up with innovations, ideas. I mean, we're we're not just ex- resource extractors. We are we are resource uh, providers, and that. And because of that, the uh, I think the sustainability into the hunter gatherer intuition is completely
0: misguided. And that that applies. There are a whole hosts of areas where people use that term sustainability, whether it be the environment or any number of resources that are just expected to go away.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know. If- for economists, the, the, the key word is substitutability, that we're constantly substituting different resources for, uh, for others and, that, and again, I get back to your, your best indication of sustainability is the price system and that, that, that drives some people crazy. That uh, They, they want to substitute their own intuition and say, well, we need to recycle this when in fact the price system says, no, that your recycling is wasting resources.
0: Arnold Kling is author of Specialization and Trade, a Reintroduction to Economics, available in digital format at libertarianism.org. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.